Good morning. The scripture reading today is from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 through 25, and it can be found on page 6 of your bulletin if you would like to read along. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. I want to say a word of appreciation, not only to Rachel, but also uh, to all those that week in and week out read our scriptures for us, because the reading of God's word itself can be a powerful thing. I think we experience it every Sunday, just the clear and caring declaration of what God has said itself begins to stir the heart itself begins to instruct us. Sometimes it almost feels like all we need to do is just keep reading that same passage again and again, and God will speak to us. We need more than that, of course, but I just want to say that to point out the blessing of you, Rachel, and the other readers in our church. Can we actually put our hands together and say thank you to everyone who does that? Thank you so much. We are wrapping up today our sermon series that we've called One Another. Today will be the last sermon in this series and starting next week for three weeks in anticipation of Good Friday and Easter, we are going to have a short three-week series called Why Did Jesus Come to Die? A great way for us to lead into the Easter season. Why did Jesus come to die? And just like we do in December for Advent, we're actually sharing this series together with other pastors in the Grace DC network. This is going to be a shared series where each of us are going to be traveling across the three congregations of Grace DC and preaching in sharing from God's word. And so I will kick things off uh, next Sunday. The following week will be Russ Whitfield, pastor of Grace Mosaic. And thirdly, Mike Park from Grace Downtown will be preaching on Palm Sunday. And so please be in prayer for that and uh, ready and in anticipation of that wonderful teaching. But first, we're not done with this yet. Uh, let's take a look at this passage from First Peter as we wrap up our series Uh, uh, on one another. Let's pause first and let's pray as we begin. Jesus, we are asking that you would come and bless this time, that you would uh, plant in our hearts a living seed, uh, a, 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 a word of truth from Christ that begins some new life, some newness of heart. You would change us in this time. And so, please send your spirit and make this time profitable, a blessing to all of us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I have a bad habit. Well, I have a lot of them, actually. But I'm talking specifically about my habit of driving our car around and not filling up our gas tank 
until that empty tank fuel indicator light goes on. Drives Paula absolutely nuts, especially when she turns on the car in the morning to find that indicator on. I, on the other hand, like to see it as living on the edge, right? (laughs) But even I, or you if you're like me, even I need to admit that driving around the city for miles and miles, telling myself that everything's going to be all right, while that tank is sort of running on fumes, perhaps literally, that I am defying a basic principle of driving. And that is that you can't drive your car very far without gas in your tank. Real simple. You can't drive very far without gas in your tank. And that basic logic applies even to the Christian life, even to our souls, doesn't it? Because some of us sometimes feel like we can operate turning the steering wheel, pushing the gas pedal, moving around from place to place, or calling to calling, or relationship to relationship, believing that we can drive this car without gas in the tank. And so we hear this call to love one another, to be in relationship with each other. And we believe that we can do it long and far and truly without the spiritual fuel that we need, that the Bible says we need in order to love like this. Today, I want to simply remind you as we wrap up this multi-part series on one another that we cannot love for very long or for very far without the high-octane fuel of Christ's love for you fueling your tank. We cannot love like this apart from the power of Christ. Here's what I'm talking about. We've said in this series over the past several weeks that we're looking at different passages throughout the Bible where we're called to do such and such with one another. And it's interesting, you find this word in the original ancient language behind this text, and it takes the word other and it combines it with another word, other, and sort of smashes it together as if to say that uh, this is what we're to be and what we're to do when we collide with one another. We've been talking about our relationships. How do we do real relationships in Christian community? And so looking at these different passages, we've said that we need to spur one another on. And not just leaving people at a distance, but spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And how do you do that? By meeting together like we do here. Encouraging one another. So we said we need to show up on Sunday mornings. That it's not enough to be in community or in worship on Sunday mornings just occasionally. And and not even even just a a few times once in a while. And not even just once a month. But if you want to grow as a Christian, you need to be together. Where we're receiving encouragement from one another. And not just on Sundays, but in community throughout the week as well. We need to encourage one another. That means finding the places of vulnerability and fear and caring for one another there. We said we need to love one another like a family, sharing our hearts 
and even sharing our possessions, especially with those who have needs. We said we need to empathize with one another. Again, not standing off at a distance, but rejoicing with those who rejoice and mourning with those who mourn and extending friendship to those of lower social means than ourselves. We said we need to sing to one another, that every time you sing in a worship setting like this, you are uh, potentially at least singing the truth of the gospel into one another's hearts. So sing loud, we said. Sing with all your heart, even if singing isn't your favorite thing. We said we need to greet one another with appropriate forms of physical affection. Because if we're honest with ourselves, we live in a dehumanizing world. And sometimes physical touch in appropriate ways can actually make us to feel human all over again. We saw that we need to forgive one another. We need to offer hospitality to one another. Not just meals around a table, though certainly that too, but most especially by giving one another our presence, our attentiveness, our personhood. We need to bear one another's burdens especially the heavy burden of guilt for our sins, gently correcting each other and carrying one another to the throne of God's grace and love. And then we have here in this verse, this passage in verse 22, this wonderful summarizing call, love one another deeply from the heart, because that's after all, friends, what we've been talking about is love in all its many forms, in all its many contexts, in all our different relationships. You see, and in each sermon, Yancey and I pointed out how each passage of Scripture has shown us how the gospel provides for us the spiritual power to love like this, to engage one another like this. So the Bible says, encourage each other, one another, because Christ has encouraged you. Or the Bible has told us, treat each other like family because God has adopted you by his grace into his family. No, we forgive because God in Christ has forgiven us. We sing to one another because God sings over us with his love. And so I want to finish this series by pointing out to you again. That what we most need to do this life of one anothering with each other, what we most need is the power of Christ and his love working in our hearts. You see, because today's passage reminds us that we're not just talking about going through the motions. And we're not just talking about working up yourself some kind of reluctant will to love. We're not just talking about forming a superficially impressive kind of community life, not just more programs and more activity. We're talking about a transformation of our hearts, a transformation of our hearts. And in fact, three words in this passage tell us that the Bible is talking about something that starts deeper within In verse 22, we're told that you have a sincere love for each other. That word sincere kind of means not pretending love. Not a fake love. A love without masks. 
Also in verse 22, we're told, love one another, not superficially, but what? Deeply. This word can also be translated earnestly or fervently. It's actually the very same word that was used of Jesus when he earnestly prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before he was crucified, when he even prayed sweating drops of blood. Earnest love. And thirdly, also in verse 22, we're told to love one another deeply, earnestly, from the heart. This is a heart reality. Not just a a surface behavior thing. Not just a going through the motions thing. Not something that you can just tell each other to do. And just by strength of will, you're able to do it. It needs to start within. In other words, this kind of deep, true, lasting love for one another requires supernatural power. Where do we see this most clearly in this passage? Verse 23. Peter has just said, love one another deeply from the heart. And now he gives us the grounds, the basis, or the reason for which we can love like that. And what does he say? For. Why? Can we love like this? For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. Why can you love like this? With what power can you love like this? With the reality that you have been born again and now are able to, by God's power, love like this. You know why? Because spiritual corpses can't love. We have this phrase here, born again, and of course, it's a confusing phrase. You might have heard it before or hear it around It's often a phrase that's politicized as if quote-unquote born-again Christians as a label can only vote a certain sort of way. Or sometimes it can even in the public square be weaponized in the sense of, hey, I'm a born-again Christian. Well, are you or you're not or you don't seem to be? But this is actually a passage among others in the Bible that tell us about an inner spiritual reality that happens When God comes by his grace and gives us life. It tells us that we are by our nature spiritually dead. Non-responsive. Unable to see God for who he really is. Unable to love him naturally. In fact, the reverse is true. That we resist him. We don't want him to be king over our lives. We love being king. We don't want to listen to his rules and commands. We want to write the rules and only obey the commands that we think uh, are appropriate to us. Uh, We don't want to follow Jesus. We want him to follow us. We don't have a natural inclination towards God. We need God to give that to us. We need God to open our blind spiritual eyes so that we can see him. To unplug our deaf spiritual ears so that we can hear him. And to give life to our dead spiritual hearts so that we can love him. And that we can receive his love. Peter here describes this new reality of spiritual life using the picture of a seed. 
He says that you were born not of a perishable seed, but of an imperishable seed through the living and enduring word of God. You get the picture, right? It's a seed of life that was planted in your heart and then it eventually germinates and it sprouts out new life. God has given you life and it's life that's enduring. It doesn't sprout up and then die. It it actually, in fact, lives on forever and ever. God's eternal word creates eternal life. And this indestructible character of this life-giving seed guarantees that that life will continue to grow and produce the life of love in God's people. You see, Peter is simply pointing out again and again that love is only possible because of supernatural life within you. He says this in the earlier part of this chapter in verse 3, not in your passage printed there, but he says, in God's great mercy, he has given us new birth. We've come alive For the first time spiritually, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. So it's a simple point that I want to bring to us today worth our consideration. That all the kinds of ways in which we have been talking about how we need to live in relationship with one another. How we need to be in community with one another. We need to remember that these things are supernatural in character. And can only happen by the power of God. And so you say, what difference does that make? Practically, what does this mean? for how we do community. Let me share a couple things and then we're done. Number one, it means that we need to beware of idealism and perfectionism in community. This is what I mean by this. Oftentimes when we hear teaching or preaching on this is how relationships ought to be and this is how we love and how we encourage and how we need to be like family, one of the outcomes of a sermon series like this series oftentimes is frustration. You look around and you say, well, that sounds like a great picture, but look at all these people that are failing me. (laughs) Look at all these people that aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. Sometimes the outcome of hearing a picture like this being cast before us is actually aggravated frustration, hurt, and even anger. I wonder if any of you have been experiencing that over the last several weeks. Maybe it's sounded like this in your heart. I've been tempted in this direction too. Maybe in the past few weeks you've been saying, man, I know some people in this church that really need to hear that sermon. (laughs) Look, I prepare this stuff. Sometimes I feel that way too, and I need to repent of that. Look at verses 24 and 25. Peter says, all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. What is that? That's actually a quote from the Old Testament book of Isaiah, chapter 40. 
And here, Peter is making a contrast. He's showing the difference between the frailty, the weakness of human nature, and the permanence and the strength of God's word. The weakness of people over against the strength of God. And he's saying that our spiritual new birth, and therefore our ability to love well, comes from God's word and God's will, not from people's words and people's will. And we get confused and frustrated because we forget this important point. Because we really do, let's be honest, we do really believe that the community of the church and the way we do relationships really is a matter of just trying harder. And the reason why we get frustrated at one another is because we believe you're just not trying hard enough, man. You just haven't come through like you're supposed to be coming through. You just haven't done what you're supposed to do or you're not listening hard enough. And we can be led to thinking that forging loving relationships like the ones that we've been talking about is merely a human endeavor that's produced by human effort. That's possible by human effort. This makes us frustrated. This makes us jaded. Ironically, sometimes it even makes us walk away from the call to love at all. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the Lutheran pastor who was killed by the Nazi regime, wrote a wonderful classic book on Christian community called Life Together. And he makes this keen and timeless observation at one part of that book when he talks about the way in which our idealism forms our expectations, and that alone can sometimes kill the possibility of true community. Listen to this. Every human wish dream, he calls it a wish dream, every human wish dream that is injected into the Christian community is a hindrance to genuine community and must be banished if genuine community is to survive. He who loves his dream of a community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of Christian community. Even though his personal intentions may ever be so honest and earnest and sacrificial, he enters the community of Christians with his demands, set up his own law, and judges the brethren God himself accordingly. He acts as if he's the creator of the Christian community, as if his dream itself binds men together. When things do not go his way, he calls the effort a failure. When his ideal picture is destroyed, he sees the community going to smash. So he becomes first an accuser of his brethren, then an accuser of God, and finally the despairing accuser of himself. Oh, man. I I see this in my heart. Do you see it in yours? Where you say, look, this is what community is supposed to be. And you look around and you say, oh, well, that person's screwing up. It's not happening because of them. And then you start to look at God and you say, well, gosh, God, why aren't you making them do it? And then you look at yourself and you say, well, I stink at this too. Let's just give up. And it's because we've fallen more in love with our dreamed picture of community than we have real people themselves. And we've believed in our heart that it was possible for us to build community like that by our own human strength, will, and commitment. And the Bible says this is a supernatural feat that God alone can make. Dear friends, it's worth considering, maybe even this week, are you more in love with the idea of community 
then it's reality. Are you more in love with the idea of community more than you are in love with real people that Peter here is reminding us are people who are deeply flawed? What do we need then here? What do we need here? Well, Bonhoeffer tells us, listen to what he says as he continues. We enter into this common life, not as demanders, but as thankful recipients. We thank God for what he has done for us. We thank God for giving us brethren, sisters, and brothers who live by his call, by his forgiveness, and his promise. We do not complain of what God does not give us. Rather, we thank God for what he does give us daily. What do we need to learn? Neither of us can live by our own words and deeds, but only by that one word and deed which really binds us together, the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. When the morning mists of dreams vanish, then dawns the bright day of true Christian fellowship. He said two things there. What do you really need? One is gratitude. To thank God for relationships that you do have, the fruit of what God is in fact already doing and not just going around and accusing others, yourself and God for what community is not happening. Gratitude first. And secondly, to be restored in this belief that the supernatural power of the gospel is what binds us together and not just human effort and will. So it's important for us to move forward with gratitude. Oh, friends, Peter even does this here. He says, love one another deeply, but do you know how he started? Now that you have purified yourselves, verse 22, by obeying the truth, so that you have, you have sincere love for each other. It's happening. You're bearing fruit. You do care. Not perfectly. Not in every way imaginably. Which is why we need to keep growing. So love one another deeply from the heart. Let's talk about that too. Let's go deeper in, further in to the call to love. But you're doing it. You are doing it. Some of you have been wonderful vessels of extraordinary support for each other. Amazing listening ears. Amazing hands that have literally embraced each other in the times of deepest need, who have come through with sacrificial giving of your possessions, of money, of time, of energy, of heart. So many of you have experienced this. Have you said thank you to God lately? Have you embraced with deep gratitude in your heart what you have been blessed by God in community rather than simply noticing the ways in which perhaps frail community has failed you. You see, because when we begin to believe all over again that this is a supernatural endeavor, then it humbles us to seek God to build for us what we have no power to build. We want to be a more forgiving church. Do you realize we have no power to just become more forgiving. We have no power to just become more sacrificial. We have no power just to force ourselves or even to force each other by rule or by norm or code, by guilt, by fear. You can try all those things. It's not going to change the human heart. It might change for a little time, but it won't last. Why? 
Because all people like us are grass. Because we wither and our wills fail. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And when the word of the Lord gives life, then we discover the power to love. And so we look to God again and again with gratitude and with hope to see him build within us this life of love. But it holds back our critique and criticism that becomes destructive and actually begins to distance us if we forget this important point. And that brings me to the second point. Not only that we need to be careful of idealized community, we need to be wary of perfectionism in community, but therefore, number two, we need to have patient endurance for the process. Uh, If it's truly a a spiritual process, and we need to uh, sort of understand that this is a call to perseverance as God builds what only he can build in our midst. Peter indicates this in verse 21. He says in the very beginning of the passage, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have a sincere love for each other. And of course that raises a question, well, in what sense have they been purified in their obedience? And what Peter means here is that step by step and little by little, the People of these churches have been overcoming the the filth of self-centeredness. They've been overcoming and ridding themselves of the indwelling stain of selfishness. It's not saying that they've been atoning for their wrongs. Only Jesus can do that. But he's saying by obeying the truth of the gospel, they've been growing in their love, as we said. This has been a process for them. Peter is acknowledging that from the beginning. You might also notice here in verse 22, as we've touched on already, that Peter is talking about a starting point of good growth in love, and then he's calling them to greater depth and obedience in love. In fact, in verse 22, Paul uses two different words for love. You have a sincere love for each other, so love one another dearly. The first word there, love, is the Greek word Philadelphia, brotherly love, family love. The second word there is the Greek word agape, which is a spiritual kind of love. And I don't think the point is to say that Paul is saying this is a totally different kind of love. All of it comes by the grace of God and from the heart of God. But I think he's still showing a process of deepening from one kind of love to another. Uh, from, from good love to better love, from grace love to grace upon grace love, because it's all by God's grace, something deeper, more fervent, more sacrificial, even more like Christ. It's a process, and therefore, it requires patience and perseverance. God is doing it in our midst. Friends, we need to believe this. God is teaching our church to love. In ways that we don't all individually see. I mean, right? Sometimes it's easy to be like, nobody here loves. And it's like, do you know every secret thing that's been done in the past week? Do you know every secret meditation in every person's heart? 
Do you know? Do you know? No, you don't know. You need to be able to say you don't know. You don't have eyes on every dimension of community life and sacrificial deeds and love and mercy and prayer. Someone who earlier came up to me and said, look, Pastor, earlier this morning, I prayed for you. I prayed for you and Pastor Yancey as you lead us in worship today. And I'm like, thank you so much. And I, I, I'm knowing how you have testified to your support of this church in prayer. I know others of you besides this one individual have also prayed. And I did not know that until I was reminded of that by this person telling me. There are n- countless ways, innumerable ways in which God has been inspiring people and moving people to love. God is doing it, but it takes time. And it takes time to grow In this way, developing a sincere love for one another. Will you have patience for the eternal work of God? Do you have patience for the eternal work of God as he shows up in our midst and in our relationships? Thirdly, this brings us to our final point. Therefore, what do we do? You just wait. Okay, we got to persevere. God is going to do it, so we just stand. No. What do you do then? Drink deeply from the love of Jesus for you. Right? If new relationships, encouraging relationships, family-like relationships, rejoicing with those who rejoice relationships, weeping with those who weep relationships, share your possessions with one another relationships, be hospitable with one another relationships. If those are supernatural in character, if they cannot come about by mere human force of will, then we need to fill our tanks with the only supernatural fuel that is made available to us. And that's the love of Jesus. See, your new birth in Christ gives you power to love one another deeply. Human words and willpower aren't sufficient to produce this kind of one another in love that we've been learning about together. And it's really important that you just make sure that you don't just hear a saying, just do it, just do it, just do it. No, it's so much more than that. One commentator theologian put it this way, without the indicative of what God does, the imperative, the command addressed to a helpless sinner makes him a victim of his illusions. It becomes a command that crushes or that drives to vain and presumptuous efforts. What's the greatest hope that you can hear today as we endeavor to become a more loving community? It's Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. So Edmund Clowney, another theologian commentator, puts it, Christian love is born as Christians are born through the truth of the gospel. God's word renews, cleanses, and matures us for a life of love. Beloved, do you want to learn to love one another? How do we do it? We drink deeply from the well the eternal well of God's love for you. We fuel our tanks with the fuel of God's eternal love for us. As the Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians 2, which Kristen earlier mentioned as we were singing, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Dead, not yet born anew. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, 
But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, born again, alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. You want to learn to love? You got to know how deeply you've been loved. We know this by a, on a human level, don't we? The ways in which human love can actually start to change your heart and teach you how to love, give you strength for another day to give sacrificially to another person, especially someone that doesn't deserve it. But how much more to live a whole life Time, loving like that. How much more to live even more radically sacrificially in our love for other people, even not just our friends and not just our neighbors, but even our enemies. How much more do we need an even more radical injection of life-changing love? And where are you going to find that only? Not in a human source, but in a divine source, only in the very love of God for you. As 1 John 3 tells us, we love. Why? Because he first loved us. We won another because God and Christ first won anothered us. So we turn our attention to the love of God, which we find in the pages of scripture, which is why we need to be reading the Bible and being refreshed in the love of God. Friends, you cannot do all this one anothering love unless your mind and heart is being soaked in God's word. Uh, if you're not in God's scriptures, whether in a small group setting or here on Sunday mornings or individually throughout the week, you have no reason to presume that you're just magically going to be able to love like this. And you also certainly don't have a place to be able to critique other people for not loving you like that if we're not mutually growing together in encountering the love of Christ in the pages of Scripture. And secondly, of course, we need to do this in community, practicing and doing this, listening to the promises of God together, and then practicing living love together. Because, dear friends, you cannot love for very long or very far unless the high-octane fuel of Christ's love is filling your tank. So do you want to love? you want to do all this one-anothering encouragement and service and hospitality and weeping and caring and listening and giving. You want to do that? Well, here's where it starts. Dear friends, Christ loves you. Christ loves you. Will you believe that? Let's pray. Jesus, convince our hearts. Even before you teach us how to love, teach us again about your deep, eternal, enduring love for us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand and let's sing together.